You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Unless Yahweh builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless Yahweh watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Welcome back to the Geared Ashley Mullet Show. That is, of course, Psalm 127, a song of a sense of Solomon, unless Yahweh builds the house. Today is Thursday, January 27th, 2022, and also the day after the birth of Andrew Matthias Mullet. He was, for all who are wondering, suspecting, imagining, assuming, but don't know quite yet, he was born at home. Lauren's water broke about 5.25 yesterday morning. I was scheduled to work. It was going to be the last day of my hitch for this set of days on, and then today was going to be the first of my days off, and then 7 a.m. in approximately 20 minutes from right now as I'm recording, we were going to have the induction in Loveland, and we had childcare lined up. Susan Garcia was going to come and hang out with the kiddos, and that was the plan. Or I should say that was the backup plan, because our hope was, our prayer was, that we would just have Andrew at home. Everything would be simple, straightforward. A home birth is so much simpler than a hospital birth, in our opinion. Half of our children now have been born at home. Half of our children have been born in hospitals. Two of our sons, our two oldest boys, were born at Miami Valley Hospital in Kettering, Ohio. And before Andrew, our youngest two sons were both born at St. Vincent's Hospital in Miles City, Montana. But now with Andrew yesterday, four of our children and four of our children, hospitals, home births. Our daughter was born at home. Solomon, Daniel, Evelyn, now Andrew as well, all born at home. And of those four, only Evelyn had a midwife present with Solomon. We had plans for midwives to be present. Daniel and Andrew, both we planned from the get-go, or I should say hoped. We hoped from the get-go to have at home unassisted. Now, a lot of people find that really crazy. I mean, that, that's the word. That's the word that gets reached for crazy. That's crazy, right? Like, they just don't know the word. They're not sure what word they want to use. I think what they mean is that's really highly unusual. That's really, really different. That's very, very different. You guys having as many children as you do, that's very different. 
you having had four of your eight children and four would be enough to be very different based on how many children most people have anymore but for you to have had four of your children at home that is even more different still but for us it naturally follows and when I say naturally follows what I mean is something like what my wife told the midwife yesterday when we went in as a routine just you want us to come in so you can take a look at baby take a look at mom make sure everybody's okay yes of course everybody's okay but as a formality yes we'll come in that's quite all right everyone else who thinks that it's very unusual highly unusual will breathe a little bit easier okay we'll come in that's fine but it's like my wife told the midwife it's not a medical emergency not always not usually not routinely it doesn't have to be treated as a medical emergency and in fact you may find that very very difficult labor and delivery would be a lot less difficult if we didn't approach it as a medical emergency if we didn't treat it as a medical emergency stay calm don't panic be calm be cool and you might just find that this whole thing goes a lot smoother a lot quicker a lot easier than it otherwise would but i'll be honest my wife and i we talked about this all through the pandemic supposed pandemic possibly faux pandemic all through COVID-19 that we were not thrilled about the idea of going into the hospital and she and I having to wear masks. That wasn't a very exciting prospect to us. We didn't want that. That doesn't sound like fun. And then you get people being weird and who knows what you're going to get. Are you going to get one of the doctors that we've heard of, we've heard about here in Greeley even, Local doctors, a friend of ours goes in, very sick, gets asked, are you vaccinated against COVID? She says no. The doctor says she's refusing to treat her. And so in that case, it's like, well, if you're playing a little bit of Russian roulette here, you're rolling the dice, what kind of a doctor, what kind of a physician you're going to get. Maybe you're going to get one who refuses to treat you if you haven't been vaccinated against COVID. I think we'll just skip the drama and the uncertainty and the complication. Thank you very much. I think we'll just have Andrew at home. That would be a lot calmer, a lot simpler, a lot easier. Thank you very much. But of course, Lauren did very well. It seems as though every time she's not sure she can do it. She's not sure. Oh, man, I just can't keep doing this. I can't do this. I don't feel like I can do this forever. It's like, well honey you don't have to do it forever it's not forever usually when you say that you're very close to it being over so we're almost there you got this you know our attitude is that the good lord designed these systems well and that isn't to say that everything in our systems always works as originally designed by our maker But it is to say that we shouldn't 
have a default assumption that nothing works ever any of the time, and yet all of the modern medical establishments stuff works perfectly all the time or enough of the time. I don't see how that follows. You know, the, the effects of sin and death on our biology, on our systems, our biological systems, our physiological processes, the effects of sin and death on those are why sometimes it's very, very good that you can go to a doctor, you can go to a nurse, you can go to somebody, get some medicine, get some treatment, get some expert analysis, get a diagnosis and a treatment plan that's sometimes absolutely a godsend. But I don't run to the emergency room every time I stub my toe. I don't go to the doctor every time I need to brush my teeth. And there's a whole lot of just routine stuff that if it's working properly, unless unless there seems to be something amiss where it's not working properly, I actually think it would be really unhealthy for me to run off to a physician. I think that would indicate an unhealthy uh, state of dependence on some expert. Do I need an expert right now or can I just handle this? I think we can handle this. Let's just handle this. And again, everything worked as it should. Everything worked as designed. We don't get the credit for the design. God gets the credit for the design. Full credit to him. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's laborers labor in vain. Those who build it labor in vain. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And it's funny how the longer I've been a husband and father, the more children Lorna and I have had, the more I've come to appreciate this psalm. This psalm is a cure for anxiety for the men who have filled their quivers with the children of their youth. It's a comfort to know that it's the Lord who secures your future. It's the Lord who builds your house. It's the Lord who watches over the city. Or else, why are you stressing out about it? I mean, if he's not watching over the city, if he's not building your house, you're wasting your time. But if he is, well, then it's built. It's watched. You're good. Go to sleep already. Don't stay up all night. I've stayed up all night a time or two due to worries and anxieties and stresses about work, about finances, about the state of the country, about how we're managing our household, how we're interacting with each other, how we're training our children, how are we conducting our affairs, how are we building a legacy. I have lost sleep, and it's been a few years since I had an all-nighter due to anxiety about all of that. But I assure you, I have had <laughs> some sleepless nights. And then I read one. I, I read Psalm 127. I read this. I read that it's the Lord who needs to build the house. It's the Lord who needs to watch over the city in order for that to count in full measure. And yes, yes, I should absolutely be investing myself in laboring, in building 
with the Lord. Yes, I should be staying awake. If I've got the night watch, I should be staying awake. But while I'm awake, I should be praying to the Lord for his blessing, for his protection, for his provision, for his good favor. And if we get it, well, then I have no need to be anxious. I have no need to go late to rest. I can go to bed and sleep well, resting in the unchangeable character of his purpose. The third verse says that children are a heritage from Yahweh. And I've had some touching comments here recently from various people who don't know me terribly well. I work with them now, so they're getting to know me. But they ask how many boys I have, how many girls I have. I said, well, we just have one girl. She's a sweetie, but just the one. All the rest are boys. Well, your last name is definitely going to continue then. And not just one has said that. A couple have said that here recently. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The mullet name will live on. I think the good Lord, for the blessing that it is to have these children, to be rewarded for our prayers, it's the Lord who builds this house. And it's the Lord who watches over this city in the making. We fully intend to change the dynamic in whatever city we reside. We fully intend to change the conversation that's being had by God's grace for the better. And we believe that's why we're here. We believe that's why he's put us here, why he's blessed us. Not for no reason, not for no purpose, not by random chance, but intentionally, strategically, as part of his plans and purpose. And we intend to carry ourselves like that, to conduct ourselves like that, to interact, not perfectly, but again, by his grace, like that. I caught my seventh son yesterday, and he sleeps now in the room next to this one, very sweetly. His disposition is just very, very sweet, very calm. He doesn't like getting his diaper changed. He doesn't like getting wiped. He doesn't love it when mom gets up and walks away for a minute. But I can't tell you how sweet it is after two miscarriages and this entire pregnancy being told again and again, everything's fine. Everything. He looks strong. The ultrasound couldn't be more perfect. Heart rate's good. Your blood pressure is good. You look good. Everything looks good. You look good. You're, uh, no concerns at all. At all, at all. Perfect. And yet, for all that, neither Lauren nor I could quite make ourselves believe it. Not fully. And we had the kind of calm that takes effort, that takes intentionality that takes reminding yourself consistently, repeatedly. God willing, we'll live and do this or that. But we were so 
afraid that we would lose another. And we had no reason to be, except that we lost our last two pregnancies. And now he's here, and it's so sweet to meet him face to face, to see him. He's well-formed. Eight pounds, eight ounces. What are the odds of that? I think the good Lord made a funny. Our eighth child is eight pounds and eight ounces. What are the odds? Well, the odds are very good if the good Lord decides that's what it's going to be. January 26th, 2022, at about 6.45 in the morning, if anyone was awake in the house, it was our son Solomon. And I went downstairs to tell him the good news at maybe 6.55, 7 o'clock. And he just stared at me, didn't make a facial expression, no change in <laughs> his countenance, to use an old-timey word. And then he just said, I don't believe you. And I laughed. I said, no, I'm serious. Yeah, Andrew's here. He's like, what, at the hospital? No, upstairs. Really? Yeah. So that was sweet. Everybody else was still asleep except for Lauren and Andrew and myself. So I asked Solomon, if you would, please run interference for us. If your little brothers, your older brothers for that matter, come upstairs, you can tell them we're not quite ready yet for you guys all to meet Andrew. So just be patient, get some breakfast, sit tight. He did a good job with that. Everybody was very considerate until I came out and gave them the all clear. Yes, you can come on up. Come on, guys. It was very, very sweet. Introducing Enoch and John to Andrew. They were very, very doting. Very happy. Very complimentary. <laughs> Eli and Daniel. They looked like they could have cried. They were very excited to meet him. Josiah and Solomon were up shortly after. Evelyn got the first opportunity to hold Andrew. She was tickled. And she was very serious about waiting on Mama. I needed to run a couple of errands just real quick, go get my rescue inhaler prescription picked up from King Supers, pick up some ketchup. I said, all right, you stay in here. We're going to put the baby gate up. Not that it did anything. Everybody just climbed over it. But hey, we, you know, we tried. Those who built it labored in vain, but we tried. I said, you sit with Mama. If she needs anything, can you jump up and get it for her? If she needs a refill on water or needs you to grab something. Yes. Okay. I'll do it. Had a girl. You know, I think it's really important as we get to be a family this size, that we resist firmly temptations that come from two very, very different directions. One direction, 
is to respond to people who take liberties in commenting on our family size as if we are idiots, to avoid being angry with them on the one hand, being spiteful right back, we'll show them, being bitter, being embarrassed or bitter with regards to people who think we've lost our minds, we're irresponsible, we're idiots. And I think the other temptation is to get a big head, to get conceited, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to with people who admire us for having this many children, who admire us for having four home births, who admire us for having seven sons. You know, I think here too, if we read closely Psalm 127, if we think carefully about what it's saying and what it's not saying, I think we can find help in avoiding all of the above. All of it. Every bit of that. The temptation to be bitter or embarrassed, apologetic towards the scoffers who are out there aplenty, let me tell you. And the temptation to become puffed up and conceited towards those who are admiring. Yes, we are doing something very, very different here. That's true. But verse 1 is a comfort to those who are anxious, who are expecting a blow, (laughs) wincing, waiting for it to fall, building their house in a kind of hurry, out of insecurity, watching their city out of a sense of insecurity, expecting an attack, expecting an invasion, expecting an assault, a siege. Unless the Lord builds the house or watches over the city, you're wasting your time. But if he is, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to lose sleep over it. There's the first temptation dispensed with. And as for the second temptation, to be conceited, lest you get a big head. Hey, look at how built my house is and how watched my city is. Lest you get a big head, the Lord deserves the credit for establishing your efforts, for blessing the work of your hands. The Lord deserves every bit of that credit. And other people as well, others can share in the good Lord's blessing, but you need to direct them to him. You need to direct their attention to his being the one who builds the house and watches over the city. And that dispenses with temptation number two. So that's what we mean to do. That's what we hope to do. That's what we are going to endeavor to do. And it's a funny thing. Now that people are asking how many sons and how many daughters we have, the second I say seven sons, I think of the seven sons of Sceva in the New Testament, which is not the most exalted (laughs) reference. I like the Magnificent Seven better, but you have seven sons of one man named Sceva in the New Testament who are feeling their oats and they are kind of full of themselves and they're going to go and 
cast out a demon. They've heard of Jesus' disciples doing that, so they're going to do it. If they can do it, we can do it. And they end up getting brutalized because they're trying to do it on their own strength. They get brutalized and they are driven out of the house naked and beat up by this one demon-possessed man who's never heard of them, who doesn't respect their authority. And so I want to be very, very careful and very diligent as a father, as a husband, that I'm leading my children, my wife, and myself in humility. In the case of the disciples, what authority they had came from God through Christ. And so also, if we have authority, or if we have anything whatsoever, anything commendable, any blessing, any heritage, any strength, it comes to us through Christ. Children are a heritage from the Lord. And we have to remember that from the Lord bit and emphasize that. That's where the stress can be managed and maintained and enduring. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That's true. I love the imagery of arrows in the hand of a warrior. Of course, I was the only one attending yesterday, and I went and grabbed a receiving blanket from the drawer. My wife had put all of these things in the drawers, gotten it all staged and ready. There were several receiving blankets in the top drawer of the dresser we got that she found on Facebook Marketplace in Loveland. I went and picked it up with Josiah, brought it back a few weeks back, a few weeks ago. But I had several receiving blankets to choose from. I chose the one with the arrows on it intentionally. And I smiled to myself a little bit, I think. I'm going to wrap this arrow in a blanket with arrows on it because the children of one's youth are like arrows in the hand of a warrior, a fighter, a war fighter, a soldier, an archer. And I don't want to suggest here that I'm better than other men who don't have as many children or who don't have as many sons. I don't want to be conceited, put myself on some kind of a pedestal when I say what I'm about to say, and yet I need to say it all the same. Psalm 127.5 says, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And that right there, friends, that's talking about action on our part. You fill your quiver with the children of your youth. Funny thing, there's a footnote at BibleGateway.com beside the word children in verse 4. The footnote says, or sons. Your sons, the sons you have when you are a young man yourself, are like arrows. As an aside, and not much of an aside, I do not favor the gender-neutral approach to Bible translation. 
I do not like when in the original language, the gendered language is male, denotes male, man, son, boy, brothers, in the biblical text. And the English translators make it gender neutral so as to be inclusive towards girls and women and females and all the rest. I don't like that. I don't care for that. That is not good. That indicates an uncomfortability with the difference between men and women, which is God-given, which is abundantly clear from God's word. You're playing games with God's word when you do that. But if you don't do that, if you could translate this, should translate this, sons, the sons of one's youth in verse 4, how does that change the meaning? How does that change the way that this reads? Particularly in light of verse 5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. I've talked about this here recently, but suppose you hear word gets to you that your enemies, multiple, plural, there's one of you, but there's more than one of them are at the gate. They're at your gate. They're at your property, right on the edge. They want to talk to you. They want to have a word with you. And before you go out, you grab your bow and you grab your quiver and you don't put one arrow in your quiver. You put as many arrows in your quiver as it will hold before you go and talk with your plural enemies. Because you want at least one arrow for each of them, just in case this goes sideways. Just in case they get some wild-haired notion that they're going to go from making demands of you and making threats to actually attacking you, assaulting you, assaulting your property and your person. Now that's the symbolic imagery. That's the word picture. Now suppose... You have sons who are grown. You're a middle-aged man, and you have sons. And they're full-grown when you're middle-aged because you had them when you were a young man. You go out and talk with your enemies at the gate with one son, with two sons, three, four, five. How about six? How about seven sons? Maybe your enemies don't come to your gate. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe they stay home. Maybe they don't come to have a chat with you outside. Because maybe you have peace through strength. You're not put to shame. You're not embarrassed. You will not be put to shame when you speak with your enemies in the gate. And what's great is beyond that, you start bringing in, tying in passages like Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh your God has brought you in your exile. You start putting Psalm 127 together with Jeremiah 29, 7. Seeking the welfare of the city by God's grace. What about when your enemies come to the city gate? Not to the gate of your property, but to the city gate. And you know what they're up to. And you're rescuing those who are being led away to the slaughter. And you go and you talk with them at the city gate. 
And the politics are going to go one way or they're going to go another way based on how this conversation goes. Whether they carry the day and get you to back down because they knew the pressure points to push on, to threaten you, to intimidate you, for everybody else to see. If they carry the day because they look stronger, their argument sounds stronger, but actually wisdom and goodness are on the side of what you just put forward, what you just proposed. Maybe seven sons in your quiver allows you to be an instrument for the good Lord who watches over the city. When the Lord builds the house, when the Lord watches over the city. I love how Psalm 127 extrapolates out from the Lord building a house to the Lord watching over the city. What if the city is praying and crying out to God for deliverance from wicked men and God sometimes sends a baby? Well, that's certainly not a foreign concept to the redemptive plan that we find in God's word writ large for the salvation of our souls in Christ. But I think we see that over and over again in small ways. We see types. We see foreshadowing. And I think also, too, it stands to reason that you would see aftershocks. You would see ripple effects out from God having sent his only begotten son into the world to be born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lied in a manger. We just got through Christmas. I know, but I think that the Christian worldview, the Christian metaphysic, the Christian ethos, the Christian telos, sees in every newborn child the potential that the good Lord is answering the prayer of someone who hasn't even been born yet, somebody who hasn't even prayed that prayer yet already, just in your child being born in your house, so they can be trained up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. An arrow is being put in a quiver. It's not time to notch it just yet, but the good Lord builds the house. The good Lord watches over the city. He knows his plans and his purposes, and we can rest in that. And so we do. Some final thoughts to leave you with. For one thing... I just want to express gratitude from the bottom of my heart to the Summit View Community Church family here in Greeley and Evans, which has been so very encouraging to us, so supportive. They do not say be warmed and filled. They love us with a genuine love, with a brotherly love. We feel so very, very encouraged, so glad, so thankful to know them, to be part of their fellowship, even though we've been away for several weeks as we were trying to be protective. I felt especially burdened to be protective of Lauren and Andrew and the rest of our children. I just want to thank everyone who's prayed for us, who's checked in, asking Lauren or myself, hey, how are you? are you doing? Do you guys need anything? For those who have offered to watch kiddos, who were ready, they were waiting, they were expecting to, maybe they would get a call. We had several people offer. We've had some people bring 
meals, just to know you is a help. Just to know you. I can't tell you how much it means to us. It means so, so very much. And the good Lord has been very kind to us in making us acquainted with you. So thank you, church family. And thank you, Lord. (laughs) And I mean that. Thank you also to the uh, systems integration team at Chevron for having stepped up to the plate without a moment's hesitation. Just a little bit of ribbing about how maybe your wife should hold it for 12 hours. Then she can go. No, no, just kidding. Go on. We got this. We got you covered. A big thanks to my dad as well, coming and hanging out with the kiddos. Lauren and I went to the midwife yesterday. She was super cool about it. The nurse got on my nerves a little bit, I'll be honest. She's like, so did you guys have anybody, like midwife, doctor, like anybody there to help with delivery? And I kind of like hesitantly raised my hand. She's like, oh, well, yeah, okay, just you though. Like, "Ah, oh, yes. (laughs) Just me, that's right. Just me. But the midwife, Eva, very, very sweet. Checked us over. Lauren and myself and Andrew went and picked up some Nordy's barbecue, which is fantastic. Grabbed some coffee from the human being. I think we will be resting. He gives to his beloved sleep. We're going to rest. Spend some time as a family. Thanking the good Lord. Soaking up this moment. Enjoying it. Stopping and smelling the roses. Thank you, Liz Messer. You are fantastic. You are a great friend. She stopped in and brought Lauren some Chick-fil-A and some flowers. Brought some pizza for the kiddos. And me, of course. But big thanks to Susan Garcia putting together a meal train. Thank you to Kale and Virginia Rogers for getting the older three kiddos to youth group and back home again. I hear that uh, <laughs> there was a lively discussion about whether dropping atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki to bring the Japanese to surrender during World War II. That was a conversation out front for about 20 minutes when uh, the boys were being dropped off last night. I am thrilled and amused. (laughs) And apparently now, my oldest son wants to know a lot more about World War II and what I think of all that and the Cold War, because it's all tied in together. He picked up on that, which is good. So I'm going to go and talk with my oldest son especially, and any of the rest of them that are interested, about atomic weaponry and Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Because he's, he said he, he asked a bunch of questions. He didn't really say what he thought because he didn't want to sound like an idiot, say something uninformed. They had definitely formed opinions on the whole business. He wanted to be able to speak from knowledge and rather than ignorance, which is wise. Even a fool when he is silent is esteemed wise. 
as my mother used to tell me when I was growing up. Good words to live by, but I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.